The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify, if you don't mind. Apple in particular, uh, those of you that have been doing it recently, a massive, massive help uh, for us. I mean, Tommy, I'm going to read some of these recent ratings because they just keep coming in. Uh, This is my favorite podcast. I rarely miss a day. Best pod for Commander's football and must listen when Tommy... And Cooley are on. That's from RVA Commanders. Um, I found Kevin through the Tony Kornheiser show. This is a great show, wonderful guests, and really enjoy Tommy. Uh, I like his honest take on sports and occasionally life. That's from Durbin, S. Durbin. Um, And then uh, recently, uh, this is, hold on, I want to, from TX Terp Tony. Uh, as an expat, uh, as a, as an expat DC native who's been in Texas for over twenty years, I really enjoy Kelvin's expertise, <laughs> knowledge of the market, <laughs> and how he uses his personal market of behind the scenes context to bring us honest, on point, unique takes on all the key issues in DC sports. Plus, he and Tom, hold on, this is a good, a lengthy review are flat-out funny, especially when their tongues are firmly in their cheeks. Thanks for taking me home uh, daily. Um, All of you that have been writing these reviews and rating us recently, big, big help. And I'll start reading more and more of these uh, reviews on the show. If that incensed more of you You to do it, yes, I will. Um, You know, the the word's getting out there, Kevin. And, uh, you know, because yesterday... You know, I was a guest for the first time on the great Al Galdi's podcast. Oh, you were Galdi's. Uh, well, yes. You know how you know what I think of of Al, and I'm so glad because well, his to. his podcast is doing well too. He's doing very well with it. But I think, I think, I think he had me on because of the recognition we got from the DC Pod- Podcast. <laughs> Did he know about it? I talked to him last week. I don't he- know if he knew about it. I didn't. I didn't bring it up to him because I thought it might be a sore subject. Oh, yeah. But I got to think it's not a coincidence that that news broke, and then all of a sudden I'm on Galdi's podcast, you know? Um, I think they're connected. Can't be coincidental. Uh, yeah, we no. – also, let me just mention, just our discussion last week 
about doing a live event. I don't know if you've been getting the same feedback, but a lot of people have been reaching out to us and saying that they would attend a live event if we did a a show live somewhere uh, and did it around kind of a dinner thing. I mean, uh, no less than, you know, 40 or 50 people have reached out to say, count me in if we were to do it. Now, whether or not they'd actually go through it, who knows? I've gotten that, too, and I don't know if you got this. I think you did, but we also got something from an attorney who said his law firm would be one of the sponsors of it. All right, there you go. Okay, let's put this together. I think we should, I mean, we could do it around, do we have to do it around an event? We don't have to. Like I was thinking, do we do it for like an NFL draft Friday night? You know, the second night of the draft or something like that? Or does anybody care? I think it's even better. I think it's even better without an event. I agree. uh, Because people will be looking for something great to do, and this would be something great to do. (laughs) Uh, I I actually agree with that. We shouldn't do it around an event. And, of course, you would never want to do it as part of a golf tournament. That's for sure. Um, although if, if you broke out like the, you know, the 1876 wooden putter, that would be awesome. Yeah. The hillbilly putter. The hillbilly putter. God, I remember that. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Um, there is, uh, you, wait, you, what did you, what did you tell me you wanted to talk about? You said right before the show, I want to talk about something. Well, I wanted oh. to talk, you know, I was watching the office. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, which I watched the office. You know, pretty much a good percentage of my life. <laughs> you and me both. Uh, yes. And and I'm watching the episode uh, of uh, you know when Michael thinks he has her, you know, sexual herpes. <laughs> right. He has herpes right. because he's got a cold sore. You know, uh, and uh, it you know, and he goes back and he reaches out to all the women that he's had contact with uh, to try to contact them about it, and it made me think of putting together a list of the hottest women Michael went out with and ranking them. Ooh. Well, Jan's, in terms of just flat-out hot, it's Jan. No. Yeah, it is. For me, it is. No. You like like Holly or Donna? You like Donna. Donna. Yeah, you like Donna. Donna is number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. but Donna was such. I mean, how many episodes in total was Donna on the show? I mean, maybe four or oh, five. Oh, that doesn't that doesn't matter. Okay, that doesn't matter. No, she, fair point. I mean, she had it, it all. Was, you you know, know, she was sultry. Yeah. She she didn't need to have she didn't need to have surgery to uh, be <laughs> voluptuous. You know, she had the whole thing going. So Donna Donna was my favorite. All right. Well, let's and I think- put Holly. Okay. Jan, Go ahead. Jan, Holly, Donna, Pam's mom, of course. Um, uh, Helene. Helene. Um, and then there's there's Carol. Oh, and Carol, real of course, agent. of course, his real wife, his, you know, his wife who, in real life. His real, his, right? Nancy Waltz, exactly. Steve Carell's real life wife. Yeah. yeah the scene, and then, uh, the casino night, um, uh, scene between. <laughs> Between Carol and Jan is brilliant, but but who am I forgetting? Yeah. Who am I forgetting? Okay, now they're sporadic appearances, but I think they need to be included. There's the Benihana Asian waitress, <laughs> the Asian waitress that came back for the Christmas party, who, right? 
Right. It took it took her took his bike home with her. Uh-huh. You know, uh, that there is the glove girl at the blood drive. Oh, remember who the never, blood drive? Who never shows for the Valentine's Day thing? Yes, there. There's the blood girl. There's the glove girl. There's the there's the chair model girl. Chair model. So of course, some, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. she was. De- unfortunately, she was killed. Now, Ed Truck was decapitated, which, of course, you know, yes. prompted the great back and forth between Dwight and Creed, where Creed goes, you know, you can go on living, you know, for like uh, three hours after you're decapitated, and Dwight says, Dwight says, I think you're thinking of a chicken, and Creed goes, What did I say? <laughs> it's so that's one of my favorite scenes didn't we yeah. just talk about ed truck yes we did yeah we talked about jane mansfield uh, oh, right, and her right, unfortunate right. demise oh and by and, the way yeah. I, we need to update that i had a long tweet from somebody um who said that the the decapitation jane mansfield car accident story is not that's 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 not um accurate it's sort of become this this okay. inaccurate legend about her about her death but that she was not decapitated in the uh in the car accident um in the 60s all right so okay. you've got you got so, chair, so let's, chair so let's model. put the head back on jane mansfield and but she is buried in Penn Archel, pennsylvania and by right the way where I and by the way had a gorgeous head um yes. okay so chair model one last one Hold on, let me see if I can get, girl. let me see if I can get it. With one last one that we're missing? Yes. Give me a hint. Uh it was a business trip. Oh yeah, of course. Um in in uh in um you know, they went to uh where'd they go? Calgary? Um, wherever they went, or or Ottawa, Winnipeg, Winnipeg. Winnipeg. They went to Winnipeg. Yeah, and the woman that he hooks up with was the woman that was in that movie Bridesmaids. Yeah, Concierge Marie. Concierge Marie, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And she 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 wanted him to leave, and then he left, and then she stuck his shoes outside of the door and shut the door on him. <laughs> yeah. She did not want him to yeah. stay the night. Clearly. I've got how I've got Donna, Holly, Jan, Carol, Helene, Benny Hanna, wait, Asian waitress, <laughs> Love Girl, mm-hmm. Chair Model Girl, and Concierge Marie. Marie. So I don't know. I was always and have always been a Jan fan. First of all, that episode that you're talking about when they go to see Jan at her, you know, new place of work and she's there with with her daughter Astrid and she's, you know, she has a line in there, I forget what it was exactly, but it's something about, you know, how she's a super mom. She's become a super mom and then she starts singing this song and yes. then, and and then she says, "So, Michael, you wanted to come and see me to have sort of a a, a you wanted to revisit why our relationship didn't work. I think Jan actually in the history of the show was criminally underrated, as I will mention Elvin Hayes to be on a list that we'll get to later on in the show. But I think she was just an incredible um, actor. This show is so well cast, as you and I have talked about in the, uh, in the past, but her chemistry with Michael Scott, 
was as good as any pairing um, chemistry-wise uh, on that show. And there were so many of them, right? I mean, Dwight and Michael, Dwight and Jim, Jim and Pam, um, you know, the different uh, chemistry, um, you know, pairings. Uh, I thought that Michael and Jan were right there at the top of the list. And I would also say that she is the secret weapon in the greatest sitcom episode of all time, which is The Dinner Party. Uh, the Dinner Party episodes, the greatest sitcom episode uh, uh, that I think I've ever watched, and I think she is so important to that episode. She was brilliant in that episode. I, I, I think Jan was really attractive. I always thought Jan was attractive. So I've got Jan one. Yes, a very, very attractive woman. I've got Donna two. I've got Holly three. I've got... Well, just because she's willing and she's got championship attitude, I'll take Concierge Marie for. <laughs> um, uh, Helene, uh, uh, Carol five. I mean, Helene was ever, uh, well, Helene, as we found out, was, you know, um, a grandmother, and Michael didn't like that very much. Um, by the way, who played Helene? Because she's been on a lot of things. Like, the, she's a very familiar face, isn't she? Or not? Not particularly. I don't know who it was. But, you know, there were two different Pam moms. There was a different Pam mom early in the series. Yeah. The the first one was the the redhead because she comes to to pick up Pam, and and that's when she wants to meet Jim. And, you know, they're – who was – who played Helene? I'm trying to look it up because she – I know she's – A very attractive woman. Oh, yeah. Helene. Yes. She's been on – I, I like the first Pam mom have no idea who she was, but the second Pam mom that's there for Pam's wedding is a f- very familiar face. Whoever's listening that knows who Pam's second mom was and what else, the other things she's been in, let us know. Okay. You know, we, t- we get sidetracked like this often, Tommy and I do, because we don't have a lot in common, but one of the things that we have in common is we love, the American version of The Office. I actually love the BBC version, and I came to the American version very late because I was very um, snooty about it, uh, thinking that nothing could top the BBC version, the Ricky Gervais version of The Office, which I still find um, to be hysterically funny. Uh, I went back and watched it, I don't know, a year ago, the two seasons. It is still one of the greatest things that has ever uh, been uh, put out there um, in terms of comedy before, but uh, the American office is unbelievable. And you know, Tommy, you know, you and I didn't really love necessarily some of the final uh, episodes in the final season, but that show, uh, the American version, uh, seasons two through five, um, was about as good as a sitcom could be. Which is a lot of times when series hit their stride. I think after five years, it's rare you get the series that really is still, you know, hitting it at 100% after five seasons. Uh, you know, Seinfeld in the first season was not that good, uh, but two through five, it really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, but I also think Seinfeld's a show that never, ever waned. I never, I, I mean, when you got to the end, it was still incredible. It was. You it know? was still a top-ranked top, top rank, rank show. Remember, have you ever seen the video 
of Seinfeld being of being interviewed by Larry King, and 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 Larry King suggests, uh, yes. you know, just flippantly yes. that 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 the show was canceled. No, and Jerry flipped out. I know, I saw it. I've seen that. And and walks off the walks off the set. Well, he stops the interview. I, he, I don't. Did he stop the interview, or did he just look at him and say, "What is wrong with you? What do you mean canceled? We're the number one show." I mean, you know, Larry. I don't remember. I mean, he just—he was—he was pissed. You know, yeah. One of my Larry King's whole thing about his interviewing style, and he used to say this: "Is I don't want to know that much about the subject." I think it's better if I go in and I become, you know, more curious as the interview goes on. And I, I, I mean, I, I guess I kind of understand that. But when you have somebody like I'm going to give you the example here, he had Brian Wilson. Okay. Genius beach boy, Brian Wilson on 20 years ago. I don't know when it was. It was probably longer than 20 years ago. You can find this somewhere on YouTube. And he literally at some point said, so did you, did you guys ever play in front of a large gathering? <laughs> he's, he's asking Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys, were you guys ever a smash? And I'm like, oh my God. And you know, Brian Wilson got bless his heart because he's not the swiftest anymore after all of the drugs and everything. And he's like... Yeah, Larry, Larry we, we played in front of a few full houses in our day. Yeah, some people, yeah. You, you may have heard of us. We were called the Beach Boys. We had an album that might be the greatest album of all time called Pet Sounds. Um, we, we did play in front of a, a large gathering or two. I mean, it was embarrassing. So, you know, there's... Well, I think, I, I think Larry King would do that. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and as an interviewing technique with the idea that if if you're loaded with information, you may not listen to what the guest is saying. I agree. You with may that. have your list of, but but you just but if you're not a good listener, you're not a good interviewer. I totally you better agree be with a that. good listener. And I think he's and so I you think... better be able to hear what that guest is saying. And if he says something that you need to respond to or follow up on, you've got to do that. You can't get consumed in your in your background material. Hundred percent. You know what I think you and I always did well together is interviews. I think we always yeah. did really good interviews together. Um, I um, I agree with you, but here here's where I think there's another part to that too because I remember watching an interview with Larry King. Larry King said that he wanted to approach these interviews where he knew a lot of his audience might be, which was knowing very little about who the person uh, he was interviewing. And he thought if he went in there with too much knowledge or too much, you know, reverence or whatever, you know, there would be people out there saying, who is this person? Well, I, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but you can't say to Brian Wilson, did you guys ever play in front of a large gathering? You got to know at least yeah. who he is and why you're interviewing yeah. him. Um, On the other hand, Larry King went a long way with that style. Yeah, he did. He did. And you know what? Uh, I, I remember, you know, as a as a young person listening to him on radio because the his overnight radio show was on WTOP locally. 
you know, when he was doing it right. out of Miami Beach and it was a syndicated national show and it was, you know, it was Omaha. You're, go ahead. You know, it was and um <laughs> and I and I and I remember listening to it. I mean, I always listen. I, I listened to a lot of radio. You know, and a lot of talk radio. You know, even going back to before, like, sports talk radio became a thing, I was a big listener of Ken Beatrice here locally. Huge listener. Um, As many people who grew up in the Washington area and were big sports fans were. I mean, I listened to Ken. I mean, I would sit there, like, you know, on a school night um, when he was on late, because there, there were there was a period there where he, his show was actually like on from like ten to one, and then the, for, for a lot of the time though it was mostly like a seven to ten show. Um, but when he got moved to like real late at night, I would sit there and listen to all three hours on a school night, <laughs> mesmerized. Did I ever tell you that? Um, uh, you know, they he, he did the, he was at WMAL for all those years, and he really is Ken Beatrice in this town. And certainly even nationally, I mean, before sports talk radio was ever a thing, there were local people doing sports talk radio shows, but they would be on news stations like WMAL, where it would just be one show. There was, you know, the first 24-hour, seven-day-a-week all sports station, I think was WFAN in New York, I'm pretty sure. Um, But... uh, but you would still have these one-off shows that would, you know, run on, you know, primarily AM radio. And Ken Beatrice was incredibly successful, had an unbelievable following. And I didn't live that far away from WMAL on Jennifer Street. And so I think I was like 12 years old. And with a friend of mine, we went up there. And, you know, uh, it was right there next to the Jennifer Cinema uh, movie theaters, um, which is where WMAL is still located on Jennifer Street Northwest. And we jumped on the elevator, took it up, walked out, walked right in and said, hey, where's Ken Beatrice? And they said, uh, he's back there. So we just walked back and <laughs> we saw him and we just introduced ourselves and he, he said, come on in, boys. And the thing I'll never forget is every other word was an F-bomb. I mean, every other word really? was an F-bomb. And he's smoking away, but it was like such a thrill. And I can remember going, God, I'd love to do something like this as a job. I don't think that was really my, <laughs> my first idea as a job. I, I really was more thinking about like a play-by-play career because those were the guys that I really um, sort of uh, enjoyed. But... um. But uh, how did we get on this? Larry King. Uh, but, you know, even yeah. going back in, into the 70s, there was talk radio. I always listened to a lot of talk radio. You know who also did a talk, sports talk radio show in town was, was Al Koken. Al Koken was doing a show on, w, uh, on WTOP radio uh, at nights with Bernie Smilovitz. I think, I think uh, Bernie... Al's told me this before, and I'm going to f- screw it up. So, Al, if you're listening, because I know Al listens every once in a while, just text me. But I know Al did that show with Bernie Smilovitz, and I think there was somebody else also that did the show. Um, but, you know, that was before, you know, Sports Talk Radio. Of course, Al ended up hosting Middays at 980 with Coach Thompson and with Doc for, for many years. And then B. Mitch, you know, as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, uh, okay. Um, there's a couple of things going on. Number one, 
yesterday when I did the show, and uh, I had Naki on. We were talking about Jawan Howard. Um, I thought that uh, you know, Inaki agreed that a very serious suspension, like the rest of the regular season, was in order. I was not in favor of what many people were, which is that Jawan Howard should lose his job. Um, but they did suspend him for five games. They fined him forty thousand dollars. Guard got fined ten thousand dollars, and Jawan had, um, I thought. The perfect, you know, statement of apology. You know, I know people really wanted it to come sooner, and he should have been more remorseful right in the press conference afterwards. Um, but, you know, his statement was, quote, after taking time to reflect on all that happened, I realize how unacceptable both my actions and words were and how they affected so many. I am truly sorry um, I am offering my sincerest apology to my players and their families, my staff, my family, and the Michigan fans around the world. I would like to personally apologize to Wisconsin's assistant coach, Joe Krabenhoft, and his family, too. Lastly, I speak a lot about being a Michigan man and representing the University of Michigan with class and pride. I did not do that, nor did I set the right example in the way, in the right way for my student-athletes. I will learn from my mistake, and the mistake will never happen again. No excuses, exclamation point. I don't care that it came so late. I'm glad it came, though, because he needed a statement like that because his actions after that game were completely and utterly out of line, um, even though, uh, as I said yesterday, it's not the worst thing we've ever seen, and it probably won't be the worst thing we've ever seen moving forward. It doesn't matter. Um, the bottom line was it was completely out of order, and it deserved a serious suspension. And Kevin Warren, Tommy, the, the commissioner of the Big Ten, who was spineless last year um, when when uh, when – uh, Juwan and Turgeon had their exchange, and he and he screamed. He screamed that he was going to kill Turgeon. Um, you know, threatened to kill him. Uh, and and that that was after Turgeon had given them multiple warnings about the first two games, uh, and he did nothing last year. He did nothing. Uh, so it was. I think that this time they acted um, appropriately. I thought that the suspension fine and guard getting fined a little bit, but not getting suspended. I don't think guard des- deserved to get suspended at all. Um, but uh, I thought that that was uh, appropriate. What did you think? I'm fine with the punishment. Uh, I mean, I wasn't you know looking for uh, Juwan to lose his job over, over, over this issue, but I think the punishment was fair and and just. And I think his statement was good. Whether you know, uh, you know, it would have been nice maybe if he'd have been a little bit more. Uh, realization as to how much he screwed up after right after the game but you know he did a moment that happens sometimes well you know at least he didn't put his hands on his own player like Izzo has yeah I mean I mean and, I mean God I mean you know, we're, we're talking about you know uh, a history as college basketball fans of knowing some of the stuff that Bobby Knight's pulled and like I mentioned yesterday right. not that it's an apples to apples comparison but you got literal literally you know guys that have you know, offered on wiretaps to pay players still coaching in the game. Um, look, I'm yeah. not a big Jawan Howard fan as a coach. You know, I, I think he's been, uh, I think he's been really like out of order multiple times here. It's surprising to me because he was such a professional as a player. Um, but he he went way over the line, and some of you tweeted me. You know, and and uh, based on the conversation yesterday with Naki. 
I just don't know what you're looking at to think that somehow Greg Gard was at fault for this. I'm sorry, but a timeout with 15 seconds to go when the other guy's pressing you down 17 yes. with your walk-ons in the yes. game. Um, I, I, exactly. I, I don't, you coach your own team and shut the fuck up about somebody else's team if you're going to do that. But then other people said, well, he initiated it physically. What are you talking about? I've watched this thing a million times. Juwan's going down the line. He's going to ignore him. All the, uh, by the way, not ignore him. Um, uh, uh, verbally, because he's he's saying you know he's mouthing off to him about the timeout, and he's uh, he's going to do a blow by, and all guard does is put his hand out and say, "Whoa, wait a minute, hold on here for a second so that he could explain to him, and then Jawanski, get your hands, you know, get your hands off me, take your hands off me, and then it escalates like. I don't know what planet you guys are on that think that somehow Greg Gard escalated or initiated something, and he's at fault for Jawan throwing a punch at the guy at the assistant coach. I just I don't see it that way. I mean, you're entitled to your own opinion. But, I, I, did, um, I didn't see it that way either, and uh, you know I can't take credit for this. Somebody, I'm, maybe you read it too, on social media said. If Juwan Howard was going to hit anybody for calling a timeout, it should have been Chris Weber. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that, too. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. I um, thought that was funny. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think the bottom line is, like, you know, the behavior by Hunter Dickinson, you know, in College Park last year was completely out of order. Uh, and the head coach should have put a stop to it rather than encouraging it. Um, and you know, there, I'm sure there are other complaints maybe out there. I, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to make up any, but I, it, I've, I've certainly heard that there have been issues with some of the coaches in the big 10 and Juwan. Um, it's surprising to me again, he was a total professional class act, always the calm demeanor, you know, always seemingly the adult in the room. Um, but you know, what he needed actually, the, the the commissioner needed to act because if he had not made it a serious suspension, and I think five games is serious, I do. You know, the last five games of a regular season where they've got to win a bunch of these games just to get in the tournament, um, you know, then it, it you know it could continue to you know it could it would continue to happen potentially. Um, but I thought his statement was perfect. I thought the suspension was right. Firing would have been ridiculous. I mean, that's you know. I just I don't want to go down that path, but you, you, people make mistakes, and they can't just get fired every single time they make a mistake. Uh, especially if it's I mean he hasn't hit anybody until until Sunday. Um, and again, will but you win- would say, you, but you would say that the next time if something else like this happens again, he would certainly lose his job. Yeah, I think that I think that this was really the, the, the this was you better control yourself here because if things get out of hand with you again certainly if he goes and punches somebody again he's done obviously um you know these are competitive heated battles there's probably going to be some jawing at some point between Juwan and another coach or you know whatever um but uh but that stuff is all in the the heated battle but you can't you can't go punching oh you know slapping it certainly wasn't a close-fisted punch um, but you can't you can't do that. But um, uh, anyway, whatever. By the way, yeah. speaking of slapping, have you seen the videos of these slap competitions that take place? 
Uh, I think a lot of them take place in Eastern Europe. I think I have. Where guys stand across from a table yeah. and try to slap each other as hard as they possibly can. Yeah, I think I have seen that. Why would somebody do that? They're remarkable. They're remarkable <laughs> to watch. I mean, some of those slaps are, 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 are like, like a Joe Fraser left hook. They're unbelievable. Uh, I know. I don't, I don't quite understand that at all. I don't get it either, but they're they're kind of entertaining to watch. Yeah. Um, okay, so here in the opening segment of the show, we have ranked based on hotness. <laughs> Michael Scott, the women of uh, the, Michael Scott's uh, various girlfriends, um, and eventually his wife, uh, and dalliances. Um, one, you know what? One day we'll just rank the rest of the women on the office because that's always a conversation. Um, but we'll save that for another day. Uh, when we come back, I think we should get to some, it's not that it's breaking news, but there is some social media stuff from Aaron Rodgers and from Russell Wilson that I think deserves some consideration uh, and conversation today. I don't know if you want to weigh in on Mary Jo White. I did that yesterday, but you haven't had a chance to talk about the league's investigation. Um, and I want to get to Carson Wentz, too, and his availability for maybe Washington. We'll do all of those things after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Carson Wentz, ladies and gentlemen. Apparently, the Colts are going to move on from Carson Wentz. After trading the Eagles last year, a first-rounder and a third-rounder, and reunited, reuniting Carson Wentz with his quarterback's coach in Philadelphia, Frank Reich, who I think is an excellent head coach. After one season... And by the way, a, a big time salary cap, dead cap number next year of 15 million bucks. Apparently, the Colts 
want to move on from Carson Wentz. Uh, can I interest any Washington football team fan, Commanders fan, in Carson Wentz? I bet I can't. Would you do Carson Wentz if you were a Washington fan, Tommy? No, there's too many red flags. I mean, it, it's hard to believe that this guy is the quarterback that I saw a few years ago uh, on the field against uh, you know the Washington football team at the time. Uh, he was he seemed to have the perfect package of size, strength, elusiveness. I mean, talk about a guy who was hard to bring down. He was hard to bring down. I mean, he just seemed like like the Eagles had found their guy for the next decade. And he hasn't been the same since. And, uh, you know, for another team, for a team like the Colts with Frank Wright to, to basically sign off on him after one season, that's the biggest red flag I can think of. So, no, I'm not interested in Carson Wentz. There's nobody on the Washington coaching staff who I think can, can be a guru enough to get this guy back to where he was. It's really amazing um, because Carson Wentz, during that 2017 season, when he got hurt late in the year and the Eagles were 11-2 and and they were playing in the Coliseum against the Rams, he had thrown 33 touchdown passes to seven interceptions. He was a front runner for the MVP in year two uh, in the league, and everybody thought that Philly had had gotten it right uh, with Carson Wentz. And um, here we are now – uh, on the verge, potentially, of the guy that, you know, apparently he needed the most, and vice versa, Frank Reich, um, apparently ready to move on from him after a year. Of course it's a red flag. It's a major red flag. When you combine that with, remember the story, um, you know, it was a story, a combination story of Doug Peterson's exit from Philadelphia and Carson Wentz's exit from Philadelphia. And there were a lot of damning statements in there from, you know, uh, players and other coaches about Carson Wentz, about how he was difficult, about how he blamed everybody else when there were issues. I mean, you, you're potentially now on a second team where nobody likes him. I mean, I... I I'm sh- I'm very surprised because I thought Carson Wentz had a chance to be a really good quarterback, and I thought that there was a really good chance that they'd figure it out together in Indy. And there were moments this year, you know, they they were look. All they had to do was beat Jacksonville as a 15 point favorite in the season finale to be a 10 and seven team and in the postseason. With by the way, numbers, if you're just looking at the numbers, and I would urge you not to as far as Carson Wentz's overall performance this year, but Carson Wentz threw 27 touchdowns this year, had just <clears throat> seven picks, um, not a lot of yards for a guy that started and played in all 17 games, 3,500 yards um, passing, a 62.5% completion percentage. Um, but he had some bad moments in, in some games. He had a terrible moment at home uh, in, in, a, in a loss, an overtime loss to the Titans. Um, he had a, a terrible, multiple bad moments in a game in which really it looked like he just choked. You know, it looked kind of like the whole team choked against Jacksonville, but he really did choke. Now, he had some really good games. He had a really good game against Tampa, a game they lost this year um, during the uh, the course of the year. I think he threw for over 300 and had three touchdowns. He had a really good game in that Christmas night game at Arizona 
Um, he had an unbelievable game in the game against the Ravens on Monday night when the Ravens came from way back. You know, it was an incredible comeback. They won the game in overtime. Um, but no, n- no for me. I mean, and not only that. All those, all those great, all those great performances, and they're willing to get rid of them. Yeah, no, no, and he, no, no. yeah. I mean, I wonder if they had beaten Jacksonville, had gone to the playoffs, and maybe I think they would have been in Oakland spot. I think so. They would have played Cincinnati, or I, I, I forget how it would have, um, how the bracket would have uh, shaken out. But um, you know, if they'd gone and played a competitive game and lost in the postseason, would this conversation be a conversation? I don't know. Probably not. You know, because ten and seven. You know, and getting to the postseason, especially when they started the year 0-3, would have been a hell of a, an accomplishment. And, you know, most of their losses, by the way, when you go back, and I'm looking at this now because um, I pulled up the Ravens game, they, they lost eight games, okay? They lost by three points to the Rams, by nine on the road to the Titans, six in overtime to the Ravens. Uh, three in overtime to the Titans, seven to the uh, lost by a touchdown at the end of the Buccaneers, lost lost a uh, on a walk off field goal by the Raiders, twenty three twenty. Their worst loss of the year was the Jags' loss by fifteen. Yeah. Like all of their other losses were winnable games, uh, I, but something's wrong with them. I mean, clearly something is not right. Somebody, I had a caller call in this morning that said the, the, the stories out of Indy is that Ursay can't stand him either. And that, you know, and, and so, but that Reich does want him. I don't know what the story is, but if you move on from Carson Wentz after giving up a first and a third rounder without an obvious replacement answer, something's wrong and you shouldn't go near him unless you're going to get him, unless they're going to pay you to take him and his salary. Because that's almost what it would be. You'd be insane to trade anything for him, given um, given uh, the salary and the, and the contract you're going to inherit. You'd almost have to. It'd almost have to be like a Rams Jared Goff Detroit situation, where the Rams essentially yeah. had to send that second first round pick along with Goff to get Detroit to take Goff's contract. I'm no on Carson Wentz. By the way, as an aside. He's better than Taylor Heineke, okay? So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it wouldn't be an upgrade over what they have because he would be. But that's not the point. The point is you got to reach for something big here, and Carson Wentz isn't that. And if you're going to go second or third tier, you can't do it with a guy that literally the last two organizations sent packing because they couldn't stand him, apparently. Yeah, you can't do that. Nope. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They're going to get one of those. They're going to take a big swing. They're going to, you know, step up to the plate. They're going to get one of those big guys. Okay. They don't need no Carson Wentz. Here's the Aaron Rodgers Instagram. Have you seen this? Uh, I've seen something. I'm so tired of this guy. You know, I've I've canceled him out of my life. Yeah, I know that. If you know. Yeah, no, I, I understand okay. that. You're 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 right 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 on brand when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. Um, here's his, here's his Instagram post. Um, some Monday night gratitude for some of the incredibly special people in my life with some pictures from the last beautiful year to Shailene Woodley. They just broke up, didn't they? I think they did. Yeah. They, they broke up like last week. 
thanks for letting me chase after you the first couple of months after we met and finally letting me catch up to you and be a part of your life. Thanks for always having my back, for the incredible kindness you show me and everyone you meet, and for showing me what unconditional love looks like. I love you, and I am grateful for you. To the men I got to share the quarterback room with every day, Matt, Nathaniel, Luke, Jordan Love, uh, Kurt Benkert, you guys made every day so much fun, and I'm thankful for the daily laughs and stress relief you you brought me every week of the year. I love you guys. To the Friday crew, and it's a some receivers, it's Cobb, it's back, uh, uh, Bakhtiari. Um, I loved every moment we got to spend together this year. Your love and support was overwhelming, and I cherish the friendships I have with each of you. To my teammates, past and current, you are the icing on the beautiful cake we call our job football. The friendships that we have will transcend our collective time in this game, and I am so thankful for the role that each of you have played in making my life that much better. I love you guys and cherish the memories we've made. To everyone else, spread love and gratitude, you beautiful people, and read a book once in a while, too, while you're at it. <laughs> love love, and peace. I will say that this guy's become kind of insufferable, but let's yeah. let's cut to the football part of this. Is this a retirement message? Is this a message prior to going on Pat McAfee's show? I think it's tomorrow. Um, where it's usually today, but I think it's going to be tomorrow, um, where the, you know, he's on after a trade is made. I have no idea. I, I, I don't have any idea what's coming. It sounds a little bit like a retirement, but it could be that he knows he's on the verge of getting traded too, or an annou- the it announcement of a trade. It, it could be. I don't think he's going to get traded. I think he's staying right there. I just think he likes playing cat and mouse. Uh, I think he thinks he's one of the smartest guys in the world, and everybody else is an idiot. And I think he likes to, you know, to play with the common people on social media with this kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't think he's going anywhere. The common people. By the way, on what's, social what, media. what's remarkable? What? Not one word about his family still. Oh no! I mean, he's nothing. Just, he, he doesn't. I mean, he he's got. Have. I mean, still. He has no relationship with his family. What happened there? Okay, you know, what does that tell you? <clears throat> well, I mean... It I could tell you a lot of things, but... Well, but, uh, well Tommy, it could, tell, good. it could tell you a lot of things about him that aren't good, or it could tell you a lot yes. of things about his family that yes, aren't it could. good. Okay? Yes, it could. You know? I, I, I get that. But it's, it's so stunning, conspicuous how, I mean, you know... There's just nothing there. Let me just say this. He ain't, I mean, com- he ain't coming to Washington, people. Okay? It's just... I, if, he's, if he's on the trade market and there's going to be a trade announcement tomorrow, I don't think it's going to be to Washington. It would be so great for us if it did happen. It'd be so yeah, phenomenal yeah, for the business uh, that we're all in here. You know, as we've said many times in the past, trust me, much better for us if they actually win. Um, and if they if they had Aaron Rodgers, they would be in position to win big for the first yes. time in 30 years. Um, but I don't think that's yes, happening. But let me just point out, the only time Aaron Rodgers is coming to Washington in the future is, is if politician? there's another insurrection. 
Oh, stop it. That's the only time oh, he's stop done it. it. St- stop it. Okay. Another insurrection. You, you don't you don't listen to people. You just assume and you label based on, you know, one stance. Do you, re- you do you, do you really think he was pro what happened on January 6th and that he would actually no. come here and participate in another one? Cuz I don't. I've listened no. to a lot of his back and forth and his his political stuff with Pat McAfee and there's no chance that he, his opinion is anything other than that was a really bad day. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, you have you have so much time on your hands I to do. listen to so many things. I do. You know what? You really do. You know what I do? I actually read a lot and listen a lot because I don't have the same responsibilities I used to have when I was really not listening or reading anything. Because I, 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 <laughs> I don't have anybody really home with me anymore, except for my lovely okay. wife, of course. <laughs> Of course. (laughs) And we do so many things together, but I do. I listen to and watch and read so much more over the last couple of years than I did in the 10 years that preceded it. It's true. I know you were being sarcastic, but it's actually true. Now, there was something else, too. Um, Russell Wilson uh, changed his um, Twitter pick, his Twitter avatar, I guess, to include a picture of him in his high school uniform when he was at when he played high school football in Richmond. I forget the name of the school. Right. Um, my, my, I have a friend of mine that lives in Richmond whose kids went to the same school with when Russell Wilson was older. But anyway, um, so so people are going nuts over that. So it changed from a pick uh, a picture of him in a Seattle Seahawks uniform to his high school uniform, which was, again, a Virginia high school. So Washington fans apparently are going nuts over that. Now, to me, out of all of the possible, out of the big possibilities, okay, Rodgers, Wilson, Watson. First of all, the Watson story this morning is that we're, is essentially, we're not going to know until April 1 as to whether or not a grand jury decides to indict him on criminal charges. So read that story. Did you read that story about Sean Watson this morning or not? Yes. So you can't, he, obviously he's not going to be traded until people know that he's not going to jail. That would obviously be the case. Yeah. Even for this team. <laughs> Stop. Um, the Russell Wilson thing, again, the only thing I know for sure is that this year he wouldn't be he wouldn't you know cross Washington off his list. Washington would be on his list. I still don't think anybody in their right mind trades Russell Wilson unless you're getting somebody like Russell Wilson back. You know, like if somebody said, "Hey, the Seahawks are talking to the Texans about a trade for Watson." Well, you know, if they if they replace Wilson with Watson, okay. If Aaron Rodgers is going to Seattle and then Russell Wilson is coming to, you know, wherever, okay. But I still don't get why they would trade um, Russell Wilson. I don't. Who would you rather have? I've told you, Rodgers. I'd rather have Rodgers. Really? Yeah. Now, I need to know. Wilson, Wilson's 33. Uh, I know. Rodgers is 38. They be, it's a, they, they're going into their age 34 and 39 seasons. I thought we talked about this already. Um, but we can do it again real quickly. I... Uh, Rodgers, um, for three years, uh, I'll take over Wilson for five 
because Rodgers is going to give me a better chance to win the whole thing. And I love Russell Wilson. Don't get me wrong. Like, what a what a consolation prize that would be. And they'd be really good. But I think I, I mentioned this to you before. I can just tell you that, like, the boys in the desert would basically make Washington with Rodgers one of the two or three favorites to win the NFC Championship next year, along with the Rams – um, maybe, you know, depending on what happens in San Francisco, maybe San Francisco, maybe Dallas. If they had Russell Wilson, they'd probably be a notch or two below that in the odds to win the NFC championship. They'd still be a contender. And I would love it if they had Russell Wilson. But Aaron Rodgers, Tommy, wins basically 13 games every year. Like, you're going to have a chance to win 12, 13, 14 games next year, win the division, and be the one seed. And then everybody can complain about how he never gets it done in the postseason, even though he's had some really good postseasons, you know, even when they've lost games. Um, but yeah, I'm I, with you. I'd rather have Aaron. I'd rather have Aaron Rodgers for some of the things that you said, and I think he'd be much more entertaining than Russell Wilson. I just think he's better than Russell Wilson. I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers. I think they're both going to go down as two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But Rodgers' place on that list is going to be ahead of Wilson's. Okay, the odds of which one comes to Washington, which one is greater? Well, they're both super long shots, but the odds of Wilson. I get that. But the the odds of Wilson coming to Washington are better. Okay, and I would say I agree. much better because it looks like Aaron Rodgers might be retiring. But I still think those odds are really low. I just don't see them going anywhere unless they're going to retire. I think that, actually if. If you told me of the two quarterbacks, which is the more likely to get traded, um, I actually think before this Instagram, whatever it means, whatever this post means, I'd actually say that I think the chances that Aaron Rodgers would get traded are equal, maybe a little bit better than Russell Wilson's. But I think that Rodgers isn't going to get traded here. Whereas Wilson, if he were to get traded, like if they were to actually put him on the block, there's at least a chance that he might end up here. But we'll see what happens. Something's happening with Aaron yeah. Rodgers today. Something's happening. Um, did you have any any uh, thoughts to the Mary Jo White assignment by the league to investigate the Tiffany Johnston allegations? Well, i got a column running tomorrow that talks about Roger Goodell's cheerleading squad. Uh, who, who Beth Wilkinson, and, and, she, and, and, and she's one of them. She you is. Know, this guy, this this guy loves his female legal legal his female <laughs> lawyers. Yeah, he does. He does. He loves them. That's that. Lisa, that's Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. What's no, her name? Lisa Friel. Friel. Yeah, Betty, uh, Mary Jo White, right. Beth Wilkinson, now Loretta Lynch, right? Hired to uh, defend the, the NFL. In the Brian Flores thing, you know, so he, I, I call them the cheerleading squad. It's Roger's cheerleading squad. So you really think that these people are just essentially on, you know, the company payroll? Yes. Really? I think they know, I, I think, I think they know where their paycheck has come from. Mary Jo White, listen, for one thing, you know, she represented the Sackler family at one point. I do. I did a whole thing okay. on her yesterday okay. with Howard Gutman. Yeah. I, I, okay. she represented, okay, so, the, so do you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. And and in the investigation into the Carolina Panthers, 
and this was reported by Yahoo Sports, she constantly ran into roadblocks because of non-disclosure agreements. Okay, this is 2017. So she recommended to Roger Goodell that the NFL do away with these non-disclosure agreements when it comes to cases of, of sexual uh, misconduct or assault so they don't get in the way. Now, here we are, 2022, and obviously he's ignored that recommendation. You know? Yeah. So, 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 I mean, but yet she's still willing to take another paycheck from him. You know, they, he didn't listen to her the last time, but here she is saying, yep, Roger, just send me the check. Well, now, see, they may be for, they may be forced to actually come up with a real credible report to release this time around. They may be painted into the corner to do that. But so far, so far, uh, you know, Roger Goodell tries to create this illusion by hiring all these female lawyers. You know, like there's some like uh, illusion of inclusion of women in the NFL when the most powerful lawyer in the league is is a guy who Jeff who Pash. made jokes about minorities and women to Bruce Allen. Yeah, Jeff Pash. Um, so I'm not, I'm not I'm not very optimistic. I think the key lies at, with the House subcommittee. If there's any odds to be had, I think that's where that's where it begins and ends. Um, the oversight committee. The worst the worst investigation ever done was actually done by Ted Wells, a male. Yes, um, it was. The yes, deflate thing. Um, yeah, I don't, I think, I, I don't know this. I'm just going to tell you what somebody who I, using your logic, I, I don't know what the answer is, but um, I'll go to somebody who probably does know what the answer is. And in this case, it would be, you know, our friend Howard Gutman, who was on the show yesterday, longtime, you know, D.C. attorney, big-time D.C. attorney, the ambassador to Belgium. He was excellent on the show yesterday. And I've asked him because essentially asking, you know, because of what you've said about Beth Wilkinson specifically, about whether or not they're just sort of on the payroll and whether or not these are legitimate investigations. And he goes, no, 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 these people are legitimate investigators with very impeccable reputations. They're not going to just produce a, a puff piece that the league wants to produce. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But, so I think I know that. But, but again, Beth Wilkinson took an investi- conducted an investigation that was never an investigation. It was a cleanup operation. What do you mean by cleanup operation? In other words, her, the, the goal was not, to obviously, to investigate and have a conclusion that would be made public. Right. Okay? She was supposed to go in there, identify the problems, identify what went wrong, and then they were going to come up with a way to save Dan and fix it. Now, you know, even if she recommended that Snyder sell the team, she took this job under the idea that this, this, this information was never going to see the light of day. So that was any recommendation she came up with was actually useless if it was going to be done in secrecy. Well, I guess, except for what you just described, the cleanup part of it would be to come up with recommendations that this particular team and maybe other teams can put into kind of a best practices 
um, atmosphere to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. And I think that Washington, you know, did take a lot. I mean, remember, they had already started down the path of creating a different culture with, you know, the help of Jason Wright, et cetera. And then when the league made that statement, they said that Washington has implemented many of the things that were, you know, recommended by Beth Wilkinson. I mean, that but would that's be a cleanup that, operation. No, no, no. I, like I hear standing. you. I hear you. I hear you on the okay. cleanup. Okay. I, I got I got to what you meant by cleanup. I understand now. Okay. But what I'm saying to you is, do you know for a fact that Beth Wilkinson thought that this was an investigation for her to produce a conclusion that the league would then take and 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 move forward on, regardless of what the conclusion no, or recommendation no, they're, was? They're, there was a document that that was revealed by the House uh, Oversight Committee that you know before the investigation even started, um, like a mutual right. uh, destruction document, right? You know, mutual self destruction document. Well, she knew that existed, right? She knew that both sides had to agree for this information to, to be released. Okay, and right. she knew that was never going to happen. Right. She could have recommended. That Dan Snyder beat a pool boy for the next ten years at league well, meetings. It does nothing was going to come of it. It doesn't mean that she she wasn't you know um, asked to make recommendations. It just means that she knew going in they weren't going to be made public and that they may not be followed. Whether she took the job to investigate for the purposes of as you called it a cleanup, or the purposes of coming to. Um, you know, a major conclusion on the guilt of, you know, various people in sexual harassment. I mean, I don't, not every investigation, you know, it shares the same outcome purpose. I mean, I, I bet she's done, a, maybe I, she's done a lot of investigations where she knew going in they weren't going to be made public. This wasn't about ousting anybody. This was about creating a better, best practice, you know, uh, HR environment for the company that they were investigating. I don't know. I, and by the way, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I'm just saying that you, you, you use cleanup operation as sort of a pejorative description. It might be somewhat typical of some of these investigations. Uh, not, not, well, you know what? An investigation like this that was painted uh, as, as an investigation to hear what these victims had to say, uh, I mean, look, the conclusion was never going to be about responsibility. It was going to be about cover-up, and I think she knew that. Look, at this, this is a woman, again, like I've said this time after time, this is a woman who stood in front of reporters at a courthouse and once said the NFL never hid medical information about damage from concussions to its play, from its players. And she might as well have stood there and said the earth is flat. <laughs> you know, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, let me just go back to, you know, she took this gig. It's a cleanup operation. She's kind of, you know, working for the house, so to speak, in your view. If that's the case, then why worry about making her findings public? Well, because there's no telling. You don't know what's in there. You don't. You, you want to see what's in there. You want to be a, the pub. You know the people who who follow this team, people who care about these kind of issues, lawmakers. 
who obviously care about this issue, these issues, want to know the details of this investigation. You never know what's in an, invest, in an investigation. Usually nothing good. Um, so on the Mary Jo White thing, because, uh, you know, it happened after the podcast on Friday. And so um, a friend of mine sent me all of this stuff on Mary Jo White. And I talked about it yesterday. So I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version right now. You know, and, you know, she was the one, as you've already mentioned, I think, you know, that she investigated Jerry Richardson. And so I got all these things on Friday from people just saying, this is it. This is the one that's going to do it. She's coming in to save the day. No, 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 no. The Jerry Richardson thing, we've talked about this, just not even yes. close to the same situation as the Snyder thing. He was already out. He, he had volunteered to sell his team at 81 years old, and her investigation did prove the allegations against him, which included, by the way, in addition to four sexual harassment uh, allegations, a racial remark that he made to a team scout who was black. Uh, she proved that all of those allegations were, in fact, true, and they fined him Basically, I think after he had sold the team to Tepper or when it was in the process of being sold, they fined him and he paid a $2.75 million fine for that. Um, but none of what she investigated on Jerry Richardson, Jerry Richardson, um, influenced Richardson's sale. Like there was no league vote to out oust Richardson. He had already decided he was out. But there's another case, Tommy. There's another case. Uh, by the way, just remind me because somebody said, Tommy, you'll know the answer to this. I, I just remember this. Just r just make a mental note to yourself to ask me about Joseph McCarthy, okay? Um, all right, so did you also know that she handled the investigation into the Ohio State Urban Meyer Zach oh, yeah. Smith situation? So the Yeah, she saved, she saved Urban Meyer's job. Oh, my God. Uh, th this is why, like yes. I said, don't get your hopes up, people, because and and by the way, the, the, the Sackler family. I was reading that as as as, I, as Howard was on with me yesterday. Um, she's played both sides, you know. She's represented big, you know, billionaire clients, and as an investigator, like here's the quote. I still can't get over this. Basically, this investigation, for all intents and, pr and purposes, proved that Urban Meyer knew that his assistant coach, Zach Smith, was a longtime domestic abuser, okay? He had actually tried to figure out how to wipe clean old text messages because he knew that they were going to find him. Her quote afterwards, after the, the, the final um, penalty was a three-game suspension. He was suspended for three games at the beginning of that season, the first two of which were, you know, where Ohio State was like a 35-point favorite. Right, um, she, exactly. She said afterwards, while those denials were plainly not accurate, Coach Meyer did not, in our view, deliberately lie. <laughs> <laughs> and then she said, Coach Meyer impressed us with his sincere commitment to the respect for women core value that he espouses and tries to instill in his players. I mean, yeah. So anyway, the net, I mean, the net well, of and it. This is a former, this is a former federal prosecutor, right? So she was on the side of, she was on the other side. You're right. She plays, 
both say, a lot of these that's guys what play both sides. Yeah, Howard, Loretta Lynch is yeah, doing it. That's what Howard said. They, Loretta they, Lynch is doing it right yeah, now. Yeah, of course. Loretta Lynch <laughs> was Obama's attorney general, and she went to work for this high-priced law firm, and she defended McDonald's in, in a lawsuit filed by black franchisees who said their business practices were discriminatory. She defended McDonald's. Really? So, um, yes. Well, Loretta Lynch too was she was, I mean she was she was the head of our, our wasn't she the attorney general? She was the attorney general, and Loretta she, she Loretta was Lynch is, attorney general. Yeah, and she was the one that w- that stayed on the plane to give uh, Bill all of the uh, all of that information going into 2016. I think that that famous yeah. meeting between her and Bill Clinton on a plane, like I don't know where it was. Hey, somebody um, reminded me of this. So yesterday, I just was rambling, and I could not remember who this person was. And, they, and somebody said, Tommy will know who this person was. So I don't even know how I got to it. But basically, I think I said something like, you know, Mary Jo White is going to be um, the – she's going to be the person that stands up and says, have, have you no decency, sir? Uh, you know, which was the comment made to Joseph McCarthy during the, you know, all the, the, the McCarthy's, McCarthyism stuff of the 50s. And I could not recall who said and had that famous line, have you no decency, sir? Do you know who it was? I, I haven't looked at uh, it. Jesus, that, that was during the hearings? Yeah. Uh, that was uh, a lawyer named the lawyer, Welch. Was it Welch? You are. Cool. I don't know. The oh my name. God! I just looked it up because I didn't look it up yesterday after the show. You're right. It's Welch. I said Walsh. Okay. I think I said, "Is it Walsh or something like that?" Well, you're close. I you're was close. so I you think. Had I, it. So, yeah, but I didn't get it. So you got it. You you got it. Hey, Brandon, you're right. Tommy got it. <laughs> Hold on here. Here it is. Um, uh, he was. Joseph Welch, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But who? Oh, the uh, so this the army hired Boston lawyer Joseph Welch to make the case, and at a session, June ninth, nineteen fifty four, McCarthy charged that one of Welch's attorneys had ties to a communist organization. As an amazed television audience looked on, Welch responded with the immortal lines that ultimately ended McCarthy's career. Until this moment, Senator. I think I never really gauged your cruelty or your recklessness. Um, When McCarthy tried to continue his attack, Welch angrily interrupted, let us not assassinate this lad further, Senator. You have done enough. Have you no sense of decency? (laughs) By the way... And the place place erupted with, with applause. Right. The hearing room. 1954 in front of an amazed television audience. That was all pretty new stuff back then. Yeah, it was. For, for the American public. And, you know, uh, um, McCarthy's chief counsel in those hearings was Roy Cohn. Right, of course. Roy Cohn yeah. is Donald Trump's mentor. Yeah. Yep. So, so, um, uh, you want to you see a good movie? Uh, they don't show it anymore. HBO did a movie called Citizen Cohn. Uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I've seen James, it. I've seen it on Roy Cohn. Yeah, with, yeah, with James Woods in it. It's yeah. a pretty good movie, I thought. Uh, there was one other topic, two other topics we wanted to get to today. 
Uh, Charlie Taylor, which I promised you on the podcast yesterday, I would wait and really get into it with Tommy today. And then I also want to talk about this NBA ranking of the all-time 75 players. ESPN did it. I made Tommy read it before because he doesn't have much time to read these days. He's so busy going from one statue to the next, went from one bridge to the next. Uh, and we'll talk about that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Don't forget to use my bookie if you're thinking about betting on sports these days. MyBookie.ag, MyBookie.com. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. The tournament's right around the corner. Conference tournament's a couple of weeks away. Uh, college basketball's been great. Uh, by the way, Maryland played well again last night. They have played three really good games in a row. They've won two in a row. Should have beaten, or shouldn't say should have beaten. Had a 14-point lead at Purdue on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I love Fats Russell. I love the way they're playing. Uh, They're not great defensively, but they're giving people uh, trouble. Anyway, what was I talking about? My bookie. Go to mybookie.com or mybookie.ag for all of your college hoops needs. NBA as well. Um, you'll see all of the prop bets, by the way, on all of the NFL uh, teams for next year. Occasionally, they'll throw up props like which team will Aaron Rodgers get traded to. I don't know. It sounds like maybe Aaron Rodgers isn't going to get traded to anybody. Maybe he's going to retire. But go to mybookie.ag, mybookie.com. Use, please, use my promo code, KevinDC. Uh, they'll match your deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. They're giving you free money. Okay. Um, I want to start with Charlie Taylor because I don't. Uh, I, I know you wrote about it. Tommy's got a really good column on Charlie Taylor as well. Uh, I want to just start with this, and then I'll let you talk about Charlie Taylor, and then I'll follow up. I think you can make the case that Charlie Taylor is the greatest skill, offensive skill position player in franchise history. Now, I don't, I, I'm, I'm going to take the quarterbacks out of it because I think Sammy Ball would immediately be the right answer if you include quarterbacks. But if you take the quarterbacks out of it, you can make the case that Charlie Taylor is the greatest offensive skill position player in franchise history. He's got the most touchdowns, um, 90 of them, uh, during the course of his career. 79 pass receptions, 11 as a runner. Remember, he came into this league as a running back. Right. Um, and that uh, he played, uh, even though Art Monk is ahead of him in receptions and yards, Charlie Taylor's number two on that list. Um, he, Art Monk played a lot more games. Art Monk played 35, 40 more games, but really he played probably 70 games where, if you count the games in which Taylor, you know, 80 games where Taylor was playing halfback and not wide receiver. 
So yeah, I think you can. And I, Tommy, I'm I'm old enough, just barely, to remember Charlie Taylor in the '70s, not the '60s. I don't remember Sonny and Charlie Taylor and Bobby Mitchell, you know, and Jerry Smith and the prolific offensive teams. I remember Charlie Taylor with George Allen. Um, and I know, and I read Len Shapiro's column, and I read your column, um, and I know that, you know, Charlie didn't think and didn't have the same chemistry with uh, Billy Kilmer that he had with Sonny Jurgensen. And maybe if Sonny had stayed healthy, Taylor would have obliterated um, the record books for the franchise anyway. Um, but I think you can easily make the case that in terms of a s- offensive skill position player, he's the best the franchise has ever had. I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, I mean, I think you can. Uh, all-around skill position talent, absolutely. You can do that. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I read Len's uh, story and the stuff about Charlie, the friction between Charlie and Billy Kilmer. Right. Uh, what he had told me when I spoke to him a long time ago for my book, Hail Victory, the oral history of the Washington Redskins, uh, which you can buy on Amazon for, uh, you know, I don't know, you'll have to break the bank to buy it. Uh, he told me that the game, he, the, the championship game against Dallas, the 26 to 3, 72 NFC championship game, that was, uh, the finest game he ever played as a football player. And that was Billy Keller as the quarterback. Yes, it was. He caught seven passes for 146 yards and two touchdowns from Kilmer. He said, everything was so easy for me on that day. It all came so smooth. So even though he had, he necessarily didn't click with Billy Kilmer, he certainly clicked on this day because he said it was the best game he ever played. I, the, Len, Len wrote about that, you know, the friction between he and Kilmer and that things changed when George Allen got there. Look, Sonny felt the same way. You know, Sonny felt the same way about George Allen. I mean, he he really suppressed what Sonny and the in the offense was. George Allen was a defensive head coach. He believed in running the football and not putting it at risk offensively, and that his defense and special teams would win games. And by the way, he was right, and it worked back then. You know, they went. But here's the here's the interesting thing, and I talked about it briefly yesterday, but I wanted to save it for you. The for one of the first games I can remember as a kid, as a very young boy, watching George Allen's first team. It's the first team I remember, the 1971 George Allen Washington Redskins. They started that season off 5-0, and and then in October they went to Arrowhead to play the Kansas City Chiefs. These are the these are your Chiefs, all of the Hall of Famers on defense, Willie Lanier and Buck Buchanan, yeah. et cetera, and then offensively, Len Dawson and Otis Taylor and Ed Podolak, the, those great Chief teams. They, two years earlier, had won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl four. Hank Stram was the coach. And Charlie Taylor caught a touchdown pass right before halftime. I went and found the, the NFL game of the week. Um, which, uh, you know, uh, episode on this game. Um, he caught a touchdown pass right before the end of the first half, and as he was getting tackled crossing the goal line, he fractured his ankle. They had a 17-6 to lead without him in the second half. By the way, in that game, in the first half, I had this, I had this yesterday. Hold on. Now I need to go back and look at it. Um, uh, he had two touchdown catches in the first half of the game against Kansas City, and they had a 17-6 to lead, 
and then they he they they without him in the second half they lost the lead lost the game and ended up so in that game in a half seven catches 125 yards two touchdowns wow. in a half against the Kansas City Chiefs he fractured his ankle he missed the rest of the year they went 9-4 and 1 so they ended up losing that game and three more so they basically without Charlie Taylor went 4 4 and 1 the rest of the way and then they lost in the first round of the playoffs to the 49ers as the wild card team um but for all that i read you want Shapiro talking about that you know he, he didn't think it was the same with George Allen and he didn't have the same um chemistry with Billy Kilmer they had some chemistry that year and when they lost him you know it became a different a totally different team offensively um the rest of the year and Washington uh, got him back the following year, and they ended up going to um, the Super Bowl, and he had the two touchdown catches, the last of which was over Mark Washington for the Cowboys, a cornerback, um, which was you know probably the most famous catch of his career, which was the early fourth quarter 10-3 game in the NFC Championship game, and Kilmer in stride, 45-yard touchdown pass, and with their defense, the game was over at that point. Their their defense was dominant in, in 1972. Uh, of course, Charlie's always said if Sonny had been healthy, they would have won the Super Bowl. A lot of people have said right. that. Yeah, a lot of people have. Let me give you one last thing about Charlie Taylor, and this always stuck with me. And I always thought Charlie Taylor explained the Cowboys-Redskins rivalry among the players better than anybody. And this was his explanation, because Charlie Terrell was born in, in Grand Prairie, Texas. Right. He said the Redskins-Cowboys rivalry was down to the bone, down to the marrow. My mother would get threatening phone calls. It was also, it was always a very intense series. Half our ball club was from Texas, so it was like a homecoming. All the family and friends would be there at the stadium. All the guys from Texas had to produce. Because we had to live down there yeah. in the off season. Yeah. You know, that, I thought that was the best way. That's where, it, I mean, that was when the rivalry was at its most intense, I think, among the players. When so much of the team was literally had to live in Texas during the off season. Well, wasn't Dyron Talbert from Texas? I mean, the biggest yes. cowboy hater of yes. all went to the University of Texas, I think. Um, yes, yes. Kenny Houston was from Texas. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I, I thought that was the best explanation of the rivalry between the players. You also, in your column, uh, you know, wrote about um, you know the day that he broke Don Maynard's record, which you and I remember. I we had this discussion, and I said I think he broke Don Maynard's record, and then you looked it up, and it, it was true. So. Here's how it went. You know, think about this in terms of, you know, we talk about this franchise, the Redskins franchise, having, you know, great offensive lines. They've had great left tackles over the years. Um, Well, how about this? So Charlie Taylor, at the end of the 1975 season, breaks Don Maynard, who also recently passed away. I think that's why we were talking about Don Maynard. Um, Don Maynard, who was a jet receiver with Joe Namath, held the NFL record for career receptions 
Uh, Charlie Taylor broke that record, became the all-time receptions leader in NFL history. He held on to that record, 649 catches, until Charlie Joyner broke that record in 1984. So Taylor, from 75 through the end of the 83 season, was the all-time NFL receptions leader. Charlie Joyner passed... um, Charlie Taylor in 1984, and then Steve Largent passed Charlie Joyner, and then in 1992, on Monday Night Football against the Broncos, Art Monk passed Steve Largent. So Washington, over a 17-year period, had two different receivers who, you know, at one at that, you know, in their moment, were the all-time pass catchers in in terms of receptions in NFL history. Um, And now, you know, now those numbers are dwarfed, you know, in NFL history. I mean, I don't even know where Charlie Taylor even ranks. On, I'm going to look it up real quickly on receptions career. Um, I mean, Charlie Taylor was one time the all-time leading NFL pass catcher with 649 catches, okay? Just so everybody understands, 649. Where does that rank now? 67th on the list. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, Art Monk, who retired with 940 receptions and was the all-time pass reception leader when he retired is 20th on the list with 940. Jerry Rice, 1,549 catches. I mean, nearly two and a half times um, the catches that uh, that uh, Charlie Taylor uh, Charlie had. Charlie Taylor had. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm looking at this uh, list to see if there's anybody active that's gaining. Well, Larry Fitzgerald is number two on the list, but he is still 117 catches away from Jerry Rice, so it's probably not going to happen. And then going down the list, man, you got to go down the list. Antonio Brown's 21st on the list. Um, Wow. DeAndre Hopkins is 36th. He's got 789 career catches. There's nobody really – I mean – Jerry Rice's number, I mean, that's another one of those numbers. Will that ever be reached? I mean, Larry Fitzgerald's gotten close. Tony Gonzalez is 200 away, but obviously he's retired. Witten Witten is fourth on on the list of all-time receptions. Fourth. Wow. That's amazing for a tight end. Yeah. Julio Jones is 25th. So of the truly active players that still have, you know, some career left, because I don't know that Antonio Brown's ever going to play again, um, Julio Jones is 25th with 879 catches. Anyway, um, all right, last thing to get to. So uh, the they came out with the all-time top 75 NBA list. And then ESPN ranked that list, 1 through 75. I asked Tommy to look at it uh, before the show. Um, let me give you a little bit of a taste of like the, um, you know, the, the, I'll give you the top 10, okay, of all time, because this is where most of the debate usually is. Number 10 is Kobe. Number nine is Oscar. Number eight is Tim Duncan. Seven, Larry Bird. Six, Russell. Five, Wilt. Four is Magic. Three is Kareem. Two is LeBron. And one 
is Michael. I didn't watch any of this. Apparently, they introduced all of the 75 on during the All-Star game, and Jordan got the biggest hand by far and was announced last. Um, by the way, if you're wondering, this is an NBA ESPN NBA expert panel, um, and they voted on this. Um, it says that they voted on thousands of head-to-head player matchups, taking into, consider- into consideration the quality and quantity of their NBA contributions, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, you want to just start with the top 10? Because I, I do have a major gripe on this list, which I will get to. But uh, I, I think Michael's still number one. I mean, I, I, I'm not putting LeBron number one, and I'm not putting anybody else number one. I really don't want to put LeBron number two, but I think he's in the top four. Magic was always my number two. And then I got to the center conversation, which you can speak to better. I mean, I know Kareem. I didn't see Wilt or Russell play. Right. I saw all three of them play. Uh, Russell uh, at the end of his very end of his career. Wilt near the end of his career. Look, for me, Wilt Chamberlain is still number one. Uh, he still holds so many records in, in the NBA record book. He did things that nobody else had ever done before, and nobody has done really since the way Wilt has done. I'm not going to go through all the statistics that we've talked about. To me, it, it's Wilt Chamberlain is the number one player in the history of the NBA. I think in this thing, I think Kareem is overrated. I think it's the third best player in, 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 on this list. For a seven foot two player who averaged only eleven point two rebounds a game in his career, mm-hmm. that's overrated to me. Is that okay. your is that your biggest uh, gripe? Uh that's my biggest gripe. I mean besides Willis Reed being number fifty seven, he should be higher than that. Uh but uh and I think Earl Monroe is, is buried really deep on on the list. I can't I can't find where exactly he is. But uh I always think that Kareem is overrated. He's a top ten player of all time. He's like what the second leading scorer in the history of the league, third leading scorer yeah. in the history of the league. But uh, I'm sorry, I, a guy seven foot two. I need more than eleven rebounds a game. Um, I think I agree with you. I, I because he would not be my number one center. Um. And again, I didn't see Wilt or Russell play, but I think a lot of people would have Wilt and Russell ahead of Kareem. I know that's the. Sometimes I always feel like, and we say this all the time when we have these conversations, it's like you need to almost separate the centers out. They're like their own category. But anyway, um, I had two major gripes. Uh, By the way, if you're wondering if there are any Bullets Wizards, yeah, Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld are on this list. Wes Unseld comes in at number 48 on the list of the 75 greatest. It's actually a list of 76 for whatever reason. And Elvin Hayes comes in at number 58. Sorry, that's a whiff. Elvin Hayes is not the 58th greatest player of all time. He is higher than that. And so, of course, you would say, I agree well, with you. So, so you would say, well, who are you going to put in front of him? Um, 
let me just, I mean, I, I, I've mentioned this so many times about Elvin Hayes. Like, I don't think people, I, I think for whatever reason, he just is always way underrated in the conversation of the greatest players of all time. Do you know that Elvin Hayes, Tommy, um, played in 80 or more games for 16 consecutive seasons? The dude never missed games. All right, he averaged 21 points, 12 and a half rebounds, and a couple of blocks per game. Won the title in 78. You know, ironically, you know, as much as I love Elvin Hayes, and he was my, he's the guy, he, he was my guy. I mean, I loved Chenier too, but I always felt like Elvin Hayes was much more significant to the Bullets' success. I shouldn't say much more. That's not fair. I think he was more important to the team's success in the 70s than Wes Unseld was. Now, I don't think either one of them would have had the level of success that they had without each other. So I I, I understand that. Um, do you know that Elvin Hayes, Tommy, is still on the all-time rebound list, fourth all-time in total rebounds, career rebounds, fourth. It's it's really stunning. A, 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 amazing. Um, here are the players that rank in front of him. Chamberlain, Russell, and Kareem. They're centers. Elvin Hayes was a power forward. He's got the fourth most rebounds in NBA history ahead of Moses Malone, Tim Duncan, Carl Malone, who for me, I actually think I would uh, – Carl Malone in terms of true power forward is the greatest power forward of all time, unless you want to put Duncan into that category. But uh, to me, Elvin Hayes and Carl Malone were like the exact same player. You know, they, they, they had the same kind of chiseled body. They played the same way. But Elvin Hayes is still fourth on the all-time rebounds list in NBA history. And on the points list, he's still 11th. I can't, like, he's ahead of Elijahwan and Oscar and Dominique and Duncan and Havlicek and Garnett, Reggie Miller, Jerry West. You know, Kevin Durant will pass him eventually, but he's still 11th. I just think that Elvin Hayes is better than the 58th greatest player of of all time. And the biggest knock... I think you're absolutely right. The biggest knock on him, Tommy, and you know this, is that he was a prickly dude. He was not a warm guy with the media. Um, And to be fair, even though um, he had some phenomenal playoff games and playoff series... Uh, He played very poorly the first time they went to the finals and got swept by Golden State. Uh, And when they won it in 78, he fouled out. He was in foul trouble in Game 7 the entire game and fouled out and was really a non-factor in the seventh and deciding game that year. But he was, like I'm looking at the players in front of him. No offense, but I think he's a better player than Willis Reed. Uh, I think he he's definitely a better all-time player than Clyde Drexler, who comes in at 53rd. Um, you know, Nate Thurman, you'd have to speak to him. I mean, Jerry Lucas. You know what? Bob McAdoo's at 45 on this list. Bob McAdoo was a great scorer. Don't get me wrong. One of the greatest scorers ever. Bob McAdoo was not the defender, rebounder, or shot blocker that the Big E was. He wasn't. I'd have Elvin Hayes in front of him. You're right. Um, I'd have him in front of him, too. Now, McHale... 
who many people will say is the greatest power forward of all time. I wouldn't. I would say Carl Malone is, and then I would say it's the Biggie and, and and McHale. If you're not counting Duncan as a power forward, if you're counting Duncan as a center, which you know, whatever. A lot of people say he's a power forward, and Robinson and him, you know, it, whatever. Um, McHale comes in at 39 on the list. That's too far ahead of the Big E. You know, Hayes was a much better athlete. I loved McHale's game. Don't get me wrong. But Elvin Hayes basically averaged five more points, four more points, and five more rebounds per game than McHale did. I mean, McHale had, you know, a team with so many stars on it. I understand it. But the 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 Bullets had Unseld Hayes, Dandridge, Phil Chenier. They had some stars, too, on their team. And then the other, the only other major gripe that I have, and I know I've mentioned this many times before, Elijah Wan comes in at 13. I just think that's too low for him. Um, I personally think Elijah Wan, of uh, the players in front of him, Durant's at 12 already. I think that's a bit of a reach already. Uh, is he a top 20 player right now, and might, might he end up as a top 10 all-time great? I guess. But I'd have Elijah Wan in front of in front of Kobe. I'd have him in front of Duncan on this list. Minimum, those two players. Elijah Wan's one of the greatest players to ever play. He's one of the greatest combined offensive low post threats. By the way, face the basket threats too, and defenders in one body we have ever seen, ever. Uh, I, he was one of the most skilled players offensively, and he was just dominant as a defender, as a shot blocker. I think I, I'm pretty sure nobody's even close to him in, in block shots career, right? I don't think so. Probably not. I think Elijah Wan's the all-time. I'm looking that up right now. Um, remember, remember, they didn't they didn't start keeping block shot stats until the '80s. Yeah. So you, there's none for Russell or Wilt. Yeah. Um. I've got the okay. I've got the average on blocks per game. Blocks career. Yeah. Elijah Wan's number one. Uh, Elijah Wan's one. Um. Matumbo's two. Kareem is three. I just think that Elijah Wan deserves a couple of spots higher. I don't. I. You know. And for those that say, well, he would have never won a title had Jordan not and not gone and played baseball, I would have loved to have seen those Rockets against those Bulls. I, I, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure Chicago probably would have won, but they would have been better tests for Jordan than any of the other teams were. I mean, the Lakers, um, you know, the, the Jazz, the Sonics, the the Suns. Any of the other teams, the Blazers, any of the other teams they beat in the finals, the Rockets would have been their toughest test by far. All right. We done for the I day? Agree. Do you have any other thoughts? No, we, you got said bre- we, we, got, we got breaking news. What's the breaking news? Well, the breaking news, I got an email, and I, I believe it's, it's, it's legitimate, from the public relations with, with commanders.com, says the Washington Commanders have updated their crest. We have heard from our fans loud and clear. Going forward, our crest will reflect our Super Bowl victories using the year from that regular season. Mm. You're welcome. So they're changing the crest. You're welcome, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I just opened up the email. I just got the same email. You know... 
Okay. Can we just be serious here for a moment? I think that's yeah. I think that's a good for them, a golf clap for them. Because in the past they would say they would stay sort of steadfast in their wrongness, um, in their mistakes. They wouldn't admit them. They wouldn't fix them. This is an admission that they got it wrong. And then after they tried with the Roman numeral thing, which by the way I didn't have much of a problem with the Roman numeral thing. The league pushed back on it, which I thought, to be honest with you, was kind of petty, um, and said, "Well, you can use the years." And so now they're going to use the years. So we're going to get the yeah. you know, 82, 87, and 91 to go with 37 and 42. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I will tell you this. I would bet you any amount of money the driving force behind this was Jason Wright. 100% the driving force behind this was. I mean, Dan may have said, oh, my God, you guys screwed this up. Well, we showed it to you, and you didn't figure it out. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But I, 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 you know, I give them credit when they deserve it. I mean, I, I didn't think they would change it. When I had him on the radio show that day and I said, you're wrong. These, th- these are the wrong dates. And he pushed back a little bit and I said, you got to fix it. And he said, well, we listen. We're going to listen to fans. We're going to listen to feedback, you know, and, 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 you know, they did. They listened to the feedback and they changed. I mean, that, th- this is, Tommy, this is a new thing for them. They never admit they're wrong. I know. But this is like giving a kid a credit <laughs> for the second time he takes a basic math test and gets 2 plus 2 equals 4 right this time. <laughs> I mean, it's a really low bar. <laughs> you know what? Um, they needed to retire Charlie Taylor's jersey before... Uh, the jersey that they most recently retired. And I would urge them, and I already have, just so everybody knows this, uh, they need to retire Sonny Jurgensen's jersey. That needs to be the next one that gets retired. Bobby Mitchell was totally appropriate as number two behind Sammy Baugh. Sean Taylor, again, I'm not going to bore everybody again and be repetitive. I don't have any problem with his jersey eventually getting retired. It should have never, ever been retired before several players who played for this organization that earned it. And I know he didn't have a chance to earn it. I understand that. And that, that makes the special ex, you know, exception that eventually he would get his jersey retired. But Sonny Jurgensen needs to get his, retire, his jersey retired next. I'd, I'd like that to be next year's jersey retirement um, during the season. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Okay. This was fun as always. Uh, you've got okay, boss. you've got Donna number. That's going to be the name of the show today. Donna or Jan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. See ya. Uh, back tomorrow, everybody. All right. See ya. I am taking a calculated risk. What's the upside? I overcome my nausea, fall deeply in love, babies, normalcy, no more self-loathing. Downside: I uh, date Michael Scott publicly and collapse in on myself like a dying star. Hello. Hi, Donna. It's Michael. Michael, I didn't think I'd hear from you. Have you been? I have a disease for which there is no known cure that has been sexually transmitted to me. Oh, no. I can't even say it. H I R P E E S. You're calling 
to tell me that you have herpes? No, I am calling to see if you gave me herpes, because if you did, I would be able to avoid a lot of sucky conversations. So you have it, right? No. Does your stupid husband have it? No, he doesn't. Are you telling me I have to get tested? Yes, I am telling you you have to get tested for herpes. Goodbye. So long, Donna. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.